a message that I've been thinking about for a long time. I had a, a series starting today, and actually before I went away on holidays, I, I was working on this. Different things came up in my mind, and I, I wanted to deal with it. What does it mean to believe in Jesus for salvation? What does it mean to believe in Jesus for salvation? I have two texts that I want to look at, and I really want you to look at these texts with me. Matthew 1, 14 and 15. <clears throat> Matthew 1, 14 and 15. Wasn't that opening song good? I like that. Matthew 1, 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the two verbs. Repent and believe the gospel. Time is at hand. Here's the gospel. Repent and believe. That's text number one. Text number two. Mark 8. 34 to 38. And, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, so who's them? It's these people and it's everybody else. So this is everybody. Everybody within hearing distance. Jesus is speaking and he says, if anyone would come after me, so the subject here is following Jesus. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. There's the verbs here. Deny, take up the cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels. That's interesting, eh? For my sake... And the Gospels. We're going to have World Impact Sunday. You want to give yourself to something big? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Keep reading. I don't have it on the screen. I apologize. 37. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with, with holy angels. Let's pray together. We love your word. Sharpen our minds and understandings so that we will see the preciousness of believing the gospel and how it impacts our lives day by day by day as we follow you. 
I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark is the apostolic author of both these texts. Jesus is the speaker. The gospel is the subject. And they are both about finding forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. But when you read them, and this is what I want to talk about, they feel very different, don't they? One of them, the first, it seems easier in terms than the second. One of them, the first, just says, repent and believe the gospel, 115. Repent and believe the gospel. The other one seems to demand self-denial, cross-carrying, and losing one's life. That's in 8, 34, and 35. And here's the, here's the question I want to ask. It's an important question. Are these two texts describing the same thing? And I think the reason that's an important question is it's very easy for church people to think that the first one, just believing the gospel. Believing the gospel salvation is salvation for, for just your average run-of-the-mill person who comes to Jesus. And then, and then the more demanding instructions about losing one's life, carrying one's cross, incessant self-denial. Well, those, those are for your hardcore Christians, the kind of people that end up as missionaries to India or go into full-time ministry or become evangelists or something like that. We need to be clear about this issue. Is there a tier system offered for conversion? I mean, does Jesus offer one sort of standard form of conversion for average Christians and then another long form sign up for hardcore Christians? Or, or is the believe the gospel text, is that about just sort of getting started in the Christian life and then the self-denying, cross-carrying, losing self. Is that text more about getting serious later on at some point about really, really digging in and living the Christian life? Is that what's going on here? So, so Joe Smith comes and he wants to become a Christian. Repent. I don't care what you've done. It's not by works. Come, believe the gospel. I, okay, I believe in Jesus. Is that sort of the foot-in-the-door text and then later on, you know, you want to grow in Christ. There's, there's an awful lot of things you have to work through. And then, so it's taking up your cross, denying self, losing oneself. Is that how it works? I mean, it's no slight matter, is it? We want to evangelize. We want to proclaim the gospel. We want to tell people to turn from unbelief to belief. We, we, all, we all want to say what Paul and Silas said when they called their captors to faith in Jesus Christ in Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. There! Those are such beautiful, inviting words, aren't they? I mean, they seem to open the door for everyone. 
But then there are these other challenging words from the lips of Jesus. And how, how shall we account for the radical-sounding difference between those two opening texts that I read? And I think the reason's important for everyone in this room. Here's what I think is happening here. Jesus knows how neglectful we all tend to be to fill up that word belief with its actual New Testament content. I mean, the New Testament truth is there is no conversion whatsoever for followers of Jesus with just limited interest. Can't be done. They may claim salvation till the cows come home, but no such salvation seems to exist in the pages of the New Testament. Here's a typical situation that I have in mind. I was at a, I was at a function, a social function, a few years back. And so we're all sitting, we're at tables, and uh, a man came by the table at which I was seated. He used to come to this church all the time. I, I rarely see him now. And as we talked, we did a bit of, of innocent catching up. And then he mentioned another function he was at, and another individual he would met of some prominence, a, a, a media personality. If I said his name, everybody in this room would know who I'm talking about. Everybody. And he had gotten together with this man, and they had talked, and, and then this guy by my table said to me, you know, he's a, he's a believer. Yeah, he's a believer. And there was that word. Believer. Now, maybe this prominent entertainer was a believer. Maybe he wasn't. That, I'm, that's not my point, and I'm glad it's not my job to sort those things out. But these two texts at least at least make me ask the question, what concept of believer, what concept of believer are we usually carrying around when we use that term? Do we even think it through? Oh, he's a believer. How are believers defined by common conversation among church people today? How are believers defined by our Lord and by the New Testament? And are we, are we walking around with the same ideas in our mind? Or are we using a label that no longer has very much of a New Testament definition? He's just he's a believer. Don't get me wrong. I mean... There's certainly nothing wrong with that wonderful New Testament word, believer. We are commanded to repent and believe the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. The, the problem surfaces when we throw around a beautiful term, applying it to ourselves, applying it to all sorts of people, without ever filling it up with the kind of content Jesus poured into it. Do you get what I'm saying? And so now we're at the heart of the issue of our two opening texts. My understanding of our two texts today is this. 
Jesus introduces this concept of believing in Mark 1.15, and he explains what he means by it in Mark 8.34-38. And he does this because both in his days on earth and our day today, we're reluctant to pack into that phrase, believing the gospel or believing in Jesus. We're reluctant to pack into it everything our New Testament means when it's used. So, so let me say it again. Mark 8 isn't changing the terms of the gospel. Jesus isn't replacing belief in Mark 8. He's revealing the essence of belief in Mark 8. He's explaining what belief in him is in Mark 8. Now let's watch and see how Jesus explains the nature of believing the gospel. Point number one. Don't panic. We're halfway done. Believing the gospel means following Jesus. And following Jesus means, I was trying to think how to put this, Following Jesus means the death of oneself and the creation of another self. Mark 8, 34 and 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. So so by calling out to the whole crowd with his disciples, Jesus makes it clear that what he's about to say, his words, Therefore, any and all who had any intention of following him. These are universally given instructions. So, in other words, there's no possibility whatsoever of a relationship with Jesus that doesn't take its shape from these words. Believing the gospel, Mark 1, only exists in this way, Mark 8. These are the only terms for any followers of Jesus, the whole crowd. If anybody wants to follow me, Jesus says. Don't get me wrong. Of course, of course. There's grace for when I fall and mess up and repent of all my faulty attempts to fulfill those terms on a daily basis. There's grace and mercy. We sang about the mercy seat. Who could stand otherwise? Not I. But there's no grace whatsoever for those who would deny the terms of following Jesus. There's no grace for people who would redefine what believing in Jesus is all about. All the bets are off then. Allow, if you've never thought this through, Just allow the Holy Spirit to settle this in your mind right now. Believing the gospel means there is a self-life denied, verse 34. There is a self-life crucified, verse 34. There's a self-life lost, 
verse 35. It's all right there. So, as stated in our first point, there are always two selves involved in following Jesus. Think of it that way. There's there's a self-denied, and there's another self that has to do the denying. There's a self-crucified, and there's another self that has to do the crucifying. This isn't done for you. There is a self-lost, and there's another self that does the reckoning, the counting, the losing. So, So, believing in Jesus. Oh, he's a believer. Believing in Jesus means the creation of a new self. That's why Jesus called it new birth. It's the complete birthing of another self. But, but the birth of this new self doesn't replace the old self automatically. The new self deals radically with the old self, denying it, crucifying it, losing it. And this process is what Jesus calls believing the gospel. That's the important point here. This, 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 these, these aren't New Testament words. These are my words, but I think they help explain. This to-self process. It's the first step in what Jesus means when he calls his followers to repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee. I'll show you that again. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled The kingdom of God is at hand, and here's the only instructions. Repent and believe the gospel. Point number two. The essence of the life of the new self, the essence of it, is treasuring Jesus in the gospel as more precious and worthy of pursuit compared with anything else in this world. That's what it means to believe the gospel. That's the clear implication of Jesus' words in Mark 8, 35. For whoever would would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So so this, this new self... is a is a calculating self. It's, it's a, an assessing self. It is constantly assessing and comparing the, the true value of things. I mean that in the best sense. Believing means calculating. The new self isn't interested in old self-preservation. It doesn't reckon like the old self. It wisely compares all things to the surpassing delight and treasure of Christ and the gospel. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel. That's what this new self looks at. Christ, the gospel. And and then it looks at everything else and measures them, comparing them to that. This is so important. The old self is denied, the old self is crucified and counted lost, 
True enough. Jesus says so. But this isn't done out of morbid duty. This isn't some kind of dour believing. Religious obligation. Christ has been found by the new self as the greatest treasure. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has. He has a whole bunch of stuff. Okay? But he's, but he's found something, and so this is what the new self does. It goes, here's what I found, and here's what I have. But this is nothing compared to this. See, that, that's the new self. This can't bring me joy. This can't bring me happiness. This, this is now my joy. This is my delight. This is where my heart is. In his joy, he will gladly assess. Well, no, not this. That used to be, but not anymore. Now I have this. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Has that happened in your heart? This is Jesus' description of believing in him. The essence of believing in Christ is finding in him such eternal satisfaction that the treasures of the first self are seen as imposters, fakes, disappearing fakes. They're passing fancies. They can't be kept. All else is fading in the light of the new discovery of Christ. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Point number three. This, it seems to me, is, is the heart of what I want to get at. Jesus identifies two threats to authentic, saving belief in himself and the gospel. It's in verses 36 to 38. We know these words, but, but don't study them enough. What does it profit a man to to, to Look at that. Gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. And then, and then the other question, for what can a man give in return for his soul? So there's the, there's the two things. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, so it's not just Jesus, it's his word. He said things about certain subjects, Jesus did that will get you into nothing but trouble. Pause. Little comma. If Jesus said the things he said in the New Testament today, he would be blocked on Facebook. I'm serious. You would never be able to say what Jesus said on social media today. We forget that sometimes. Ashamed of me and my words. That's the stuff I say. 
stuff I say about being the only way, the stuff I say about hell, the stuff I say about marriage, the stuff I say about adultery, the stuff I say... If, if you're ashamed of the stuff I say, nobody's ashamed that Jesus was God the Son, that he rose from the grave, that he healed the sick, that he said love one another. Nobody's ashamed of that. But, but he said other stuff. And it's getting hard to commit to what Jesus said because it's very unpopular. Okay? If any, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I've got to get going. In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. Do you think that's literally true? I just, I, I sit and think of, is there a greater agony imaginable? than thinking you believe in Jesus. And he comes back with myriads of angels to judge the world, and and you find out he just has nothing but shame on you. Is there anything worse than that? There are two threats to belief in Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. We've looked at what belief is and the two selves. There are two threats to belief in Jesus and the gospel, and, and they are always the same. They never go away. They are always the same. They have never changed, and Jesus identifies them for us. Here are the two threats. The love of earthly possessions and the love of earthly praise. Let's look at the first. The love of earthly possessions. It's in verses 36 and 37. What does it profit a man? So here's the topic we're all interested in. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Question number one. Question number two. What can a man give in return for his soul? What's going on in that verse? What's that about? Suppose my heart... I'll talk about me. You apply it to you. Suppose my heart, while sitting in church and singing praise choruses, and loving the music, and bowing in prayer, suppose my heart considers the practical worth of Jesus and his words, and then considers the joy and the excitement of all my material possessions and goals and concerns. And suppose I stop and actually consider the gladness I find in Jesus and the gladness I find in earthly things. And suppose my heart is more drawn to my earthly things than to Jesus and his words. Just suppose. Then suppose my turning from Jesus and my commitment my energetic commitment to earthly things results in me actually, just pretend, me actually possessing the treasures that I'm pursuing in measure beyond my wildest dreams. Think about it. So it's not just a phrase in a verse in the Bible. I own Amazon. It's mine. Facebook is mine. Apple is mine. Google is mine. 
So gaining the whole world is no longer just a religious, poetic phrase. It's very close to a reality. I have it. And then I die. And then I die, and I instantly realize that I've, I've, I've committed eternal suicide. I want desperately to fix things. Jesus says, I, I can't. That's, that is the meaning of those words in that second perplexing question in verse 37. What, what, what can a man give in return for his soul? How are you going to get it back? Well, nothing. There's nothing to give. None of my earthly possessions remain. None of them would be of any worth because the price of my salvation was paid in Jesus Christ. And I I considered him of less worth than all those treasures that have now left me hopelessly lost. And in one horrifying moment... I realized the truth of Peter's words, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Say it. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. It won't work. There's, There's no currency there. There's no value. But with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There is no material purchase of eternal redemption. So in one, in one horrifying, eternity-settling moment, I realize the eternal cost of not believing in Jesus as the greatest treasure of my earthly life. Of treating it like it was just a days pass to Wonderland. I said there were two unchanging threats to believing in Jesus. The first is the addictive love of present material things. We, we never escape it. doesn't matter how much you have. Don't, don't you dare sit and think about somebody in the room who has more money than you. This is, this is, our, this is our plight as fallen humanity. Here's the second universal threat. Love of earthly praise. It's in verse 38. Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Here's the second threat. To belief in Jesus. We all live our lives, you and I, we all live our lives in front of two audiences. There's this, look at them, they're in 38. There's this present adulterous and sinful generation. And there's the Son of Man with his holy angels. Two audiences. And the answer to the question, do I believe in Jesus, is found in this. Whose approval do I crave 
the most? Whose smile do you live for? I can't have both. There is, there is a self in me. He's still alive. There's a self in me and a self in you that loves the approval of the surrounding culture. There's a self in me and a self in you. Jesus said it had to be denied, lost, and crucified. There's a self in me and a self in you that worships being loved and being accepted. There's a self in me and a self in you who doesn't want to appear to be against anything. We want to be thought of as loving and accepting and tolerant of everything. There's a self in me and a self in you that doesn't want to be constantly clashing with this adulterous and evil generation and its values. Nobody likes that. And Jesus says that self has to be denied. And he says that self has to be crucified. And he says that self has to be lost through believing Jesus and the gospel. Here's my plea. Here's my plea. Make sure you truly believe in Jesus. Make sure you truly believe in Jesus. Make sure that new self created through divine power through the cross of Jesus and the new birth, make sure that new self looks at the old self every day and says, you are no longer me. You don't drive anymore. The treasures I have don't compare with Christ. The praise of this world is empty and adulterous to my risen Lord. I will gladly lose this life so that I may joyfully believe in Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Everyone sad? Let's pray. I hadn't planned where to go with this, frankly. Just while heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You might think I'm just talking to the person who's never darkened the door of a church. I'm not. I want to ask, I want to ask you quite pointedly, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Not would you vote for him. Do you believe in Jesus? Against the treasures of this life, against the praise of this world, do you believe in Jesus? I have no salvation to offer you unless you believe in Jesus like that. But there is salvation for all who believe in Jesus like that. For everybody. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. Boy, I'd like you to search your heart. I'd like you to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. And I'd like you to have enough integrity to say, you, you, you search my heart, Lord. You'll know. He speaks. You'll know. D- do you believe in Jesus like that? Or are you here because, well, your parents were Pentecostal or Presbyterian and you try and live by the golden rule and you know some of the commandments? 
do you believe in Jesus? Is he your treasure? He offers eternal life to all who come on his terms. If that's you, I, all I want to do is pray for you. 